The views expressed on the International Internet Strangers podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the United Kingdom, the United States, their respective societies for the prevention of cruelty to animals, or postal services. Hey, this episode is brought to us by products. Do you have something missing in your life? Try filling that hole with products. Okay. I want, I want to talk about the phrase of the holidays. Yeah. Because I like it for inclusion. Yeah. But the problem that, that I, I come up against is when it, it's, we say the holidays and it's just Christmas. Because mm. so often like in commercials, like, oh, well, we've got this Christmas themed commercial or this Christmas thing, something. But we can't just say Christmas. We have to call it holidays. But it, it, the only holiday we're talking about is Christmas. Yeah. Unless you consider winter itself to be a holiday <laughs> or early winter. Yeah, because I, I guess, yeah, there's, there's quite a few um, things going on this time of year. I mean, we've just had Hanukkah. Um, yeah. And is, is Kwanzaa is this time of year. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Kwanzaa is, uh, starts on the 26th. It's seven seven or eight days. Yeah. I can't rem- remember. But yeah, that starts uh, right after Christmas. Um, starts on Boxing Day. Ah, uh, I think Diwali falls in December this year. Okay. I, I, I think I heard something. Some that somewhere there was a holiday special that was focusing on Diwali. Hmm. Uh, I I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I, I feel like Diwali's earlier in the year, but maybe... yeah, I always thought it was October or so, but hmm. it it might be one of those the from a culture on a lunar calendar or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Thursday, November 4th. So we're past Diwali. We're past Hanukkah now. Um, that's, the, that's the other thing that always kind of kind of bugged me was uh, I'm, I want to say Merry Christmas, but I don't want to be one of those people. So I'll throw in all the other holidays. But like saying Happy Kwanzaa after or not Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah after Hanukkah feels tacky mm-hmm. to me. And so for, for a long time, I, I used to make it a point on Twitter to say, hey, today's the last day of Hanukkah. Don't, no, no happy Hanukkah after this. It just shows, <laughs> it shows your level on it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's tricky. I, I tend to say things like, um, I don't know, it's a bit convoluted, but like, you know, happy festive season, <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, what what I've personally uh, come down to doing is the the only real holiday greeting I'll give for any holiday is oh yeah you too. Mm-hmm. So if if someone throws me a, a, a merry Christmas oh yeah you too happy holidays oh yeah you too mm-hmm. anything yeah you too I just bounce whatever they're celebrating back at them and and I will never initiate it. Yeah, that's probably a, a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We've we've never really, I mean, we've we've never kind of celebrated the religious side of Christmas. I don't know. Yeah. I was just saying that. I mean, my my nan was quite religious, um, and I feel like there were a few Christmas eves when we went to church and stuff, but it just wasn't really part of our uh, our DNA, really, as a family. I feel, and not everybody feels this way, so we can't just go by what I feel, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I feel that there is a perfectly acceptable secular Christmas. Yeah. Um, that's for everybody, but not everyone feels it's for everybody. So it doesn't really work that way. But it it's it's one of one of those things where I apply this this philosophy I have of everybody can, nobody has to. Yeah. So what, what I, does I, a, a Mormon Christmas look like? Uh, well, there's, there's actually uh, not a lot of uh, solid 
cultural tradition. Like there's not a, a Christmas uh, meeting mm. unless Christmas is a Sunday, in which case it's it's a truncated meeting. Um, which so so uh, yeah, uh, Mormon Church. Um, when I was going, it was three hours every Sunday. They've they've cut it down to two hours every Sunday. Mm. Uh, so the the first hour is sacrament meeting, which is was like your general sort of mass. They they you know pass the bread and water, mm. uh, have announcements, and then uh, speakers two three or four two three four speakers uh, from the congregation. They give up and they give a talk, and they're they're singing, and everybody's all together in the, in the main chapel. Um, and then there's, uh, classes after that, mm. uh, in the three hour block, uh, that I'm used to the next, uh, section is a Sunday school, which is, you know, by, by age, like yeah. kids go to a primary, uh, teens, uh, every two years, like 12 to 13 is a group 14 and 15 and then mm. 16 and 17 and probably 18 year olds who don't want to go to the adult classes yet. <laughs> Uh, they've all got their, their Sunday school. Uh, the men and women are, are mixed in the adult Sunday school. Uh, and then the last hour is, uh, I hadn't really thought about this too specifically until now. Uh, then the last hour is divided, uh, gender wise, uh, the men go to a, a priesthood meeting and the women go to, uh, an organization called the relief society. Hmm. Um, and then the, like the teens kind of split in a similar way. Um, and then the primaries all together still. But uh, but yeah, if if Christmas is on a Sunday, we just go to sacrament meeting and then and then go home. Yay. Keep it simple. Uh, there is uh, the the church leadership does a a, a televised not really televised. You have to in Utah, yeah, you can just pick it up on on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think elsewhere you'd have to meet at the chapel and pick it up on the satellite to to watch it like a, a fireside devo- or a Christmas devotional every year. Um, which is a big tradition for some. Um, I think there's a, a tabernacle choir concert that goes along with it. Mm. On Christmas Day? Uh, uh, no, er- earlier in December. I think we've already had it this year. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and then in Utah, a uh, big big tradition is uh, the, the Christmas lights at Temple Square. Mm. Uh, so in, in Salt Lake City, with the, the Salt Lake, the iconic temple, like the big, you know, the one that, that you would recognize mm. uh, being outside of the culture. The, it's a, a whole block or like three or four blocks. It's a big section of the city. Uh, I guess it's just between uh, Main Street goes against it. So it'd be West Temple to State Street. And so, yeah, so about, about two blocks wide. Mm. Uh, and there there's uh, uh, the temples there, uh, the tabernacle, uh church office building, uh, visitor center, a lot of, lot of buildings. And they cover like all the trees are covered in, uh, in lights. It's, it's really cool. And there's like a a multicultural display in one area where there's different nativities, Mm -hmm. uh, crash scenes in from like in the style of other cultures. I don't know how much input people from those cultures had in bringing them, uh, putting them together. I don't know. So there, there's that. If if you're in Utah, if you're in, I guess the 801 area code and can get to Salt Lake easily, that's a a tradition. So otherwise, I didn't know yeah. that there, there kind of were variations of the nativity. It's, uh, it feels very ignorant of me, but how much variation can there be? Well, I I think it's uh, if I I might have some pictures. If you really want to dig through my Facebook photos and find some. <laughs> Uh, I know I definitely have pictures of, of the lights. I may have some pictures of the, the different little nativities, but it's yeah. just like, oh, if if uh, the Holy Family were Japanese, uh, this okay. is what it might look like. Or if they were Maori or, or things like that. And it's got like peace in that language, uh, yeah. you know, some festive, uh, religious festive word in, in the, the language there. Uh, yeah, but it, yeah, it doesn't have like the the like Catholics have a specific Christmas sort of tradition mm. um, has all those, but there's not like the, the weight of, yeah, you really should be doing these things. At least not that I've felt. That's interesting. Um, so I did uh, in, 
All right, so newcomers to the show, and by newcomers to the show, I mean people who aren't personally friends with me. Uh, I, uh, you know, as, as you, you may have assumed so far, I grew up uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because they don't want you saying Mormon any longer. Oh. It comes and goes out of fashion. Is it? It's not like offensive to say Mormon, is it? Or I mean, depends who you ask at this point, honestly. Okay. Um, it, it. Yeah. So for, I don't know, five, six years uh, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, maybe through most of the 2010s, there was this big push to reclaim the word Mormon. Uh, there was on TV, the I am a Mormon campaign. You had, you know, Brandon Flowers from the Killers. Mm. And I think Steve Young probably did one because he's a, a famous football player, uh, American football. Mm. And uh and, and all that. And so the uh, Mormon.org uh, was, you know, a website. If you're curious about the church, you go to Mormon.org, all this stuff uh, for maybe a decade. It was, it was a big push to kind of reclaim it. And then uh, two years ago, two, three years ago, maybe uh, the president of the church uh, gave a, a, a talk that was very focused on, hey, don't say that. We're the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. We're not LDS. We're not this and that. I think there was a press release and there's like official terminology. And so a few weeks ago, and I, uh, uh, so Brigham Young University, a church owned uh, school here in Utah, mm. uh, have a very, uh, they have a good athletics department, depending on the year. They're good at football. They're good at basketball. Some yeah. years better than others, obviously, uh, but they're playing uh, university of Southern California, USC, uh, I think they were in California and the USC student section charted a, a ooh, it is early, uh, started, but the lovely thing is I get it edit that little flub out. <laughs> the USC student section started a fuck the Mormons chant, Oh, which is wonderfully ironic because their quarterbacks Mormon. <laughs> uh, but, I can't tell how ironic this comment was. Somebody online commented uh, something like, well, it's hard to know which word in that is more offensive. <laughs> right, yeah. So. I, I mean, I don't know what it's like over there, but obviously, you know, in the UK, we've got a, a unfortunate history of, you know, violence at, at football games and things like that. And oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot of penalties for the teams if the... Um, if the fans, you know, what's the word? If if they partake in like racist chants and things like that, um, yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's at the kind of professional level when you're talking about college. Well, I, I, top level NCAA football is essentially professional. They just don't pay the players, right? So it's, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's nationally televised. It's, it's a whole big thing, but yeah, the, I think not really having that history. Yeah. We, it, it ha we don't have things in place like that. I know in baseball, uh, because baseball gets very quiet, mm. uh, for a lot of the game. There have been in recent years, a lot of incidents of fans yelling racist things at outfielders, uh, and getting, I mean, a couple of people have been banned from Major League Baseball entirely, just hit with that lifetime ban for it. Yeah. But in louder sports, it hasn't really been as much of a problem. It, it seems, uh, thankfully, a little more difficult to get the whole crowd in on something like that. Mm. Uh, oh, here's the story I started. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, it, no I, I started that whole uh, Don't Say Mormon tangent. Uh, I'm going to continue to say it because it's culturally, I think, the most accurate term. Sure. So, listener beware. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I uh, served the, the two-year uh, mission that uh, you see the, you know, that the, the musical was about. Right. Um, and uh, so when, when you go, you spend three weeks in a, a, a place in Provo called the Missionary Training Center, the MTC. Uh, if you're speaking English, you spend three weeks there. If you uh, are speaking another language, you spend 
how long was I there? Six weeks, maybe six, nine, one of those funny numbers. Mm. And, uh, and some, some languages, like you spend time in Provo and then you go out to the country, like Brazil has at least one missionary training center. So if you're learning Portuguese and going to Brazil, you'll spend three weeks in Provo and go out to Brazil for, to finish oh, it. So, so as in, if, if you speak a second language, then that's valuable because you can go right somewhere yeah 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 okay uh so i uh was learning spanish so my six weeks or whatever uh started in november which means i was in the mtc for thanksgiving and for christmas mm-hmm. and they uh wanted to do a, a devotional because there's students for uh, students uh missionaries from all over some of them are coming to Provo to learn English, to, to teach somewhere in the U S. Um, and they wanted to say, Hey, all the, the international missionaries, uh, let's have a, a, a presentation, get together with other people from your country, think of something to do. And, uh, and, and, you know, and you get to, to present it and we all get to learn something culturally relevant about Christmas around the world. Yeah. Well, because I had entered the MTC from England I was on the papers as an English uh, missionary. Okay. And so I got together with like, you know, five or six actual uh, British kids. And we had this, you know, so, so what is, what is, what, what is tradition? And, and they're all like, I don't care. It's just Christmas. It's you watch a, a James Bond on what's on ITV channel four the next day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that was it as far as, as traditions they could really think of. So we didn't really put anything together and just kind of spent the rest of the time talking about top gear. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Top gear. Uh, were they pro or? <laughs> oh, so it, this, this is 2003. Yeah. I, that was close to the peak of my love of top gear. Mm. I, I see some things now that I didn't see then, but yeah. I, I, gosh, early top year. It, it was a fun program. You it was know. a very fun program. It was very silly. And they spent a lot of money doing things with, with, with cars. I, I, it was so much fun. And then to, to leave, England to not be watching Top Gear all the time. And then to just, oh, anything that makes it over here about Clarkson. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. So I can't even imagine like being where he's actually famous and and having to deal with news stories. (laughs) Well, he's he's kind of interestingly uh, semi redeemed himself because he's quite a controversial character. You know, he says what he thinks and his views are often uh you know potentially offensive to someone or other and he really doesn't care yeah but um he did a program was it this year the year before maybe yeah i think it was this year um he has a farm he lives on a farm um and it was just a kind of documentary style series of him learning how to be a farmer (laughs) and it was it was actually quite like you know, I, I went into it thinking I'm going to hate this because I, I think he's a bit of a bigot, but right. <laughs> it was, it's actually quite a good program because it kind of highlights the, the challenges of, of British farming and <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I'm not selling it very well, but it's, no, but uh, that, that does sound like the most redeeming, redeemingly English thing you can yeah. do, especially for, for somebody who's, whose persona is this grandiose, pompous, sort of semi working class fellow to actually yeah. do some working class stuff to actually get out in the farm. Yeah. And it's, it's just classic Clarkson. Like, you yeah, know, he spends hundreds of thousands on this super fancy, uh, I think it's like a Lamborghini <laughs> tractor. that's just like completely unnecessary for the size of farm that he has, but you know, it's just, uh, it's good fun. That's that's perfect. And now we we talk about Top Gear being a controversial program. Nobody has a problem with James May or Richard Hammond, right? They're they're fine, right? Yeah, they're they're pretty uh, uh, kind of vanilla, really. You know, just uh, yeah. I think I think 
James May has like cooking programs now, and Richard Hammond's done other car stuff. Yeah, I yeah. No, oh, I have a friend uh, that I went to high school with, Mike Kovacs, uh, has gotten into television production, and and uh, I think he's. I'm a bad friend, obviously. I don't know exactly what he does, but he has done work with James May on, uh, uh, I think it was a a car show, something like at James's place, like a little thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, shout out to Mike Kovacs for getting to work with who I think is probably the easiest to work with of the three classic (laughs) Top Gear presenters. Yeah. I don't know. If I had to choose one to work with, I'd probably go Hammond personally. Sure. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, I can see that as well. It's really a toss up if it's not Clarkson. Mm. Saying that, I think working with Clarkson would be a life experience. Oh, for sure. Lots of, uh, lots of stories. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, oh, I wanted to say this at the top of the show. Maybe I'll cut this out and put it at the beginning. Uh, from the corrections department. This is one of the few notes I have for today uh, from the corrections department on episode four, which uh, as, as of this recording is the last episode to go up. Uh, we were talking about the song starlight by Superman lovers. Yeah. And uh, you had said something about uh, having a very chemical brothers feel. Hmm. I made a reference to star guitar when what I truly meant was uh, let forever be. Oh, Okay. So that's my correction. It, it's one of the the Chemical Brothers videos on the Michel Gondry DVD. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an amazing video. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're both great, but in very different ways. And honestly, if I think everything's probably online, that Michel Gondry DVD was was an amazing piece of early two thousands uh, music video collection. Yeah, he did some really great ones. He did some for like Bjork. Yeah, um, he did. He did a couple for for Bjork. He did. Uh, I guess there's just the one Beck on there for uh, Deadway. Is it Human Behavior that he did? Yeah, I want to say yeah, Human Behavior. Uh, Hunter, I know he did. Okay. And yoga. I am gonna yeah, hit that Google. That. <laughs> uh, Michelle Gondry Bjork. And was he? Um... Science of Sleep as well, that, that film. Yeah, that was his, his follow-up to uh, Eternal Sunshine was Science of Sleep. Uh, I really liked uh, I feel like it was underrated at the time. but I, I agree. I it had some of the... It, it's very genuinely dreamlike. It, it really captures mm. that, that quality. Okay, yeah. Bachelorette, Human Behavior, Army of Me, Yoga. Army of Me... Yeah, it looks like those four. Mm-hmm. Bachelorette's a, a great one. Uh, it's very, very Charlie Kaufman, like very Synecdoche, New York, where it's, if I'm remembering it right, it starts as a, like a big play production. And then there's a play within the play and a play within that play. And it keeps getting oh, like wow. the, the quality of the, the sets and everything keeps cutting down as you go further inward. I don't remember it. I don't remember it, but yeah, I mean, this is giving me my, my MTV flashback of uh, (laughs) watching, watching music videos endlessly. Um, Talking of uh, Kaufman, I watched, uh, what's it called? I'm thinking of ending things. Oh yeah. Um, I watched that the other day and I think I'd been putting off watching it because in my head I had assumed it was about, someone who's thinking about committing suicide yeah Yeah, and i was like "Mm." i I don't know that i'm ever in the right headspace for a film like that right um but yeah very very strange but you know quite typical of of yeah have you you seen that one i've seen parts of katie was watching it um while i was Mm. doing something else and i i saw bits of it which is not the way you want to watch a charlie kaufman movie no. <laughs> to me, it, to me, it, it very much felt like uh, there, there's a point like when when certain artists have like a very specific point of view and and they have a lot to to say. There's a certain point in their career where you can tell people have stopped mm-hmm. saying no to them. 
Yeah. And that's kind of the feel, not good or bad, but that's the feel that I got from what I saw of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And I I should watch it because I really like Jesse Plemons. Mm. Uh, I Yeah, I liked yeah. it without without spoiling it at all for you. I thought the end was a little bit weak. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, in, someone that I follow on Twitter was saying a very similar thing about Wes Anderson recently that he's just kind of become this parody of himself. Yeah. I've heard good things about the French dispatch though. Yeah. Yeah. I've not seen that yet. So I'm excited to see that one. Isle of dogs sort of came and went for me. Uh, yeah. I, I did watch it, but I don't, I watched it late at night and didn't give it the, uh, sort of attention that I, you know, where grand Budapest hotel, I went to the theater. Yeah. Yeah, there was a time in my life when, you know, if, if a new Wes Anderson film came out, I would 100% go to the cinema to see it. For sure, but, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I guess maybe the last one would have been like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, that so, so you, you didn't even go for uh, Grand Budapest? Oh, was that, am I getting things the wrong way around? I think, if if I'm remembering it right, I I want to say Fantastic Mr. Fox was... 2009 then wow okay then moonrise kingdom was 2011 or 2012 and then grand budapest was 2014 that's so funny in my head that's like the reverse oh interesting (laughs) but yeah but i have a terrible memory so yeah no grand budapest would have been the last one okay yeah moonrise kingdom was the first one where i was ready for it and and made Mm -hmm. it to the theater um and then yeah, so I guess it's just Moonrise Kingdom and, and Grand Budapest that I've I've gone out to see. Mm. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's let's do. Do you, do you want to rank your top five Wes Anderson films while we're here? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I mean, hmm. That's that's tricky. Okay, off the top of my head, okay. I'm going to say Royal Tenenbaums number one. Okay, that was the first one that. Um, that really got me and then probably Rushmore it's because I had a big crush on Jason Schwartzman (laughs) yeah even in that film uh I love Jason Schwartzman he's he's the type of the whenever I I hear like an interview with him he's been on a couple podcasts I've listened to I'm always always oddly disappointed honestly that he seems like such a nice guy because just the, the the characters that he plays and there's just something about him where like oh he's he's gonna be you know this this sort of aloof difficult no he's great seems like a great guy yeah i saw an interview with him recently that must have been from last year oh who was it with well he was in the sparks brothers i remember that yes that's right i'm, I'm about halfway um... through on, on the sparks what, what, are you enjoying it or? yeah it's it's great just you know finding time to watch stuff yeah it's yeah it's been really really interesting I've, I've been really enjoying that yeah i went from knowing very very little about them to binging their back catalog to the point that they were in my top five on my <laughs> spotify wrapped yeah because i listened to so much yeah i, I actually um, uh, just last night last night was listening to the the album angst in my pants yeah, because it's the I, of their titles, and they've got great album titles. That might be the best one. Yeah, it's very good. They're all I, I really like the 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 kind of dynamic of the fact that uh, Ron writes the lyrics and Russell sings them. Um, yeah, I, I so... was actually thinking about that. I wanted to, to put this out on on Twitter or something because mm. so uh, Ron writes and Russell sings. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Noel writes, Liam sings. Are there other oh, okay. bands where there's brothers, one writes the songs that the other one sings? I don't know what the dynamic in the Black Crows is or uh, how much Will Butler sing or writes Arcade Fire songs. I think yeah. I think that's mostly Wynn writes and Wynn sings. Hmm. Um, I'm just racking my brains now thinking of... Bands with brothers. I know, well, Van Halen, Eddie doesn't sing neither mm. brother sings uh 
Kings of Leon. Oh, that's right. They do. Yeah. They are brothers Uh, there. So hmm. listeners, if you will, uh, do the work for us. Uh, (laughs) Oh, and yeah. And then there's, there's like Van Halen, ACDC, there's brothers, but neither is the lead singer. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. We're definitely missing some. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I really love one of the things I love about Sparks is that, uh, that that kind of comes out of the documentary is that, you know, Ron has this really dark, twisted sense of humor and, and writes, you know, about how ugly and undesirable he is, yeah. which is not true. He's, he's a nice looking man. Um, and then Russell, who's like this pretty boy is, is, is singing, singing all about these songs about it, looking like the elephant man and stuff. Yeah. Just, okay. yeah. I got, I got to that part in there that, and I thought, and while I was listening to uh, angst in my pants last night, I, that comes across. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I, I listened to the, we, we were talking about Beck on an episode we haven't released yet. Um, mm. And you, you had that song. Uh, Cause I was like, Oh yeah, mutations. There's this one song and there's just no percussion on it. And then you shared uh, with me a uh, rhythm thief. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's a great one. And then I was, I was listening to Robin Hitchcock yesterday and um, about two songs into the album. I was like, Oh, this, this song doesn't have any percussion and it's electric guitar, which I, I always think is a very interesting combination. Um, maybe we'll come up with a playlist of, of songs where it's just, Oh yeah, there's no percussion on this. Yeah, and then it turns out yeah, that whole sure. Robin Hitchcock album doesn't have any percussion. Uh, Robin Hitchcock is one of those that I've never really delved into. I I used to have a friend who really liked him, so I think there's a few songs that I know. Yeah, I know. But, um, I know there's one song on the Baby Driver soundtrack. Speaking of Edgar Wright, uh, yeah, I think Egyptian Reggae. No, Egyptian Reggae okay. is Jonathan Richman. I'm thinking because it's John, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians is the band. That's why I'm thinking of it. Right, 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 so right, never right. mind. There's not a song on the Baby Driver soundtrack. <laughs> you just made that up. That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. For, same for me. He's one of those artists where people who like music in a way that I kind of identify with tend to love mm. Robin Hitchcock, but I've never actually listened to any. So I, yeah, I had gotten it from the from the library and was actually just giving it a, a spin yesterday. Hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I have other stuff that I got from the library that I want to recommend, but let's let's go back to Wes Anderson. Oh gosh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so Tenenbaums and Rushmore. And Rushmore. Um, I mean, you know, the you've got Bill Murray, you've got a bunch of David Bowie cover songs. So I'm going to have to say Life Aquatic. Oh sure. Um, would be three, and then I really like Darjeeling Limited, Unlimited. Um, Oh yeah, I. It it's the one where. What it's got Adrian Brody. Yeah, uh, Adrian, Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, and Jason Schwartzman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is Jason Schwartzman in it? Yeah, I think he's the the third brother. I think. Yeah. God, I've not seen it for a while. Um. But I like. I, Oh, and you've got Angelica Houston as the kind of hippie mum living in India in like a she's in some sort of convent or something. Oh yeah, it's uh, Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman with a uh, mustache. Oh, of course. And then yeah, the yeah, yeah, the yeah, short yeah, yeah. film uh, Hotel Chevalier with Natalie Portman is kind of a, a prequel, I guess. It takes place before darjeeling limited yeah and it's got that peter sash that song i don't know how to pronounce his name um oh yeah. where do you go to my lovely which is just that 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 short film and that song are just like intertwined in my brain forever now whenever i hear it it's great uh so how far have i got four that's four so yeah what's my fifth um I'm, I'm gonna say fantastic mr fox i really liked it and I, I i didn't like grand budapest hotel or moonrise kingdom enough for them to be in my top five personally okay what about you um again if we're starting at number one again it's got to be royal tenenbaums uh mm-hmm. say so it was also the first one i saw and 
man, at that time, I hadn't seen anything like that. And it, it hit me at the perfect, like first year of college moment to, to, uh, yeah. to really get that vibe and like all the music in there stuff. I, I didn't know. I like, I hadn't been listening to Elliot Smith at that point. Yeah. So that scene was just crazy, uh, impactful. Um, yeah, I was Richie Tenenbaum for Halloween one year. Amazing. Yeah, I yeah, Luke Wilson as Richie Tenenbaum was uh, a moment <laughs> for sure. All right. So okay, Royal Tenenbaum's number one. Uh, number two, Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. First one I, I went to the theater for. I thought it was a great. I I thought it was a great awkward teen tween love story. I I thought it was very well told. Um, I loved the island that it took place on. I'm always there for Bob Balaban showing up. Uh, yeah, yeah, that one really, really. Was am I imagining this? Was Bruce Willis in that one? He was. Yeah. He. Yeah. It's with Bruce Willis. I feel like there's. Uh, Except for M. Night Shyamalan, there's like the one time a, a director works with Bruce Willis. And then they're like, well, I'm not doing that again. Maybe I'm just applying Kevin Smith's experience with Bruce Willis to, to everybody. Because I, I read uh, Kevin Smith's book, Tough Shit, which is a great book. If It's a great book to read before everything came out about Harvey Weinstein. Oh, okay. Because Harvey did a lot for Kevin's career. And so Kevin's got a lot of nice stuff to say about it. And it doesn't age well, knowing what everybody knows now. And you say, well, what did he know that he was ignoring? And so that, mm. that tarnishes it. But I think it's a, a great motivational book. I, I'm not the biggest Kevin Smith guy, but I get it. Yeah. Um, and was this like post because he had a lot of health issues he had like heart attack and oh yeah it's he? it's before all that too oh okay uh yeah but yeah they they worked together one time on uh when it came out it was called i can't remember what the movie ended up being called it was originally a couple of dicks but because <laughs> they were detectives you see uh, right, 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 right. But yeah, he he just had the worst worst time working with Bruce Willis, and you know he hasn't shown up, uh, <laughs> to my knowledge, in any other Wes Anderson films. So it may be the same thing. But we got a great performance there, at least. I I really liked him in that. I like yeah. a soft spoken Bruce Willis. Yeah, I like I love him in like Death Becomes Her because it just feels so oh, yeah. Not what you're used to. Yeah, that's before he <laughs> yeah. really had like latched on to the type, the Bruce Willis typing. Mm. Uh, and so he was just kind of doing roles as, as they came. Yeah. That was that was really good. Death Becomes Her. Um, it's a Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, oh, the the other actor you have in Moonrise Kingdom is... Or is it Tilda Swinton or Kate Blanchett? Oh, no, I'm doing that thing. <laughs> I think it's Kate Blanchett as social services. Yeah. Androgynous British yeah. actress. Some some <laughs> elf. Some high elf. Yeah. But yeah, they're great as, as social services. I'm referring to themselves as social services. Yeah. Uh, Brilliant. Okay, okay so that's, that's uh, one and two. Three, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. I think having mm -hmm. the theatrical experience really has a huge impact on me. So having yeah. gone to uh, uh, to the cinema to see Grand Budapest Hotel, which is has the scope, like it's the biggest, I think, of the Wes Anderson films. Um, mm. I don't know, maybe Isle of Dogs was bigger in its feeling, but I, I saw it at home and I wasn't that awake for it. But, mm. you know, because Tenenbaums, it, it's small. It all is, it has some big elements to it, but it's all right there. Maybe Life Aquatic might be a little grander in scope. Anyway, these aren't actual metrics you can measure. <laughs> uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Rushmore, I think is going to be my number four. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox rounds it out. Number five. Nice. 
I love, you know, it's, it's that very charming George Clooney. Yes. Um, you know, that's, that's why I love the ocean. Uh, no, I was going to say the oceans movies. I love oceans. 11 is what I love. Okay. And, and the soundtrack to oceans 11. I don't think I've ever seen it, you know, really any, of them, any of the oceans wow. films. Um, yeah. I know, I know it's streaming on us Netflix. I think now, cause I put it on to fall asleep recently. Um, <laughs> Do you think it's one of those ones that if you didn't see it the first time round, does it stand up? Is it worth? I I think. Or would you watch it and just be like, "This is this is so early two thousands. Oh, it is very early two thousands, <laughs> but I don't think in a dismissive way. Okay. Uh, let me. I mean, I've I've seen it parodied in so many places. I feel like I know the. Plot. Oh, sure, that can that can <laughs> have an effect for sure. Um, yeah. On on enjoying something because. It's like the way that I don't think anybody our age likes the Steve Martin song King Tut. Like it's just Okay. Do, do you like King Tut? Do you get it? I don't know if I know Okay, it. fair enough. Then it <laughs> uh then the specifics I guess don't matter, but it, it's something that that my parents generation saw it and it was funny to them but whatever it was uh whatever level of irony or uh rebellion it's not the word i want but it's the word i got uh whatever made it shocking not shocking shocking because it's it's tepid but whatever made it unique and uh oh there's a word it's a kind of like subversive subversive is the or... exact word i want whatever made it subversive at the time <laughs> has become so subverted in the wider culture that i don't yeah i can't see what was funny there yeah um yeah i i get that i mean that's i feel like that's the case with a lot of like i've been listening to like some kind of older rock and roll songs and you think why was this even controversial at the time right it's it's so so unoffensive these days inoffensive, inoffensive yeah um but yeah it's you've got to put yourself in the in the in the shoes of of people it's, watching or hearing it yeah in the context of their time you know uh, what what where i really did that recently um as I, th I think I've mentioned this on the show. I make uh, mixtapes for my nieces uh, for their birthdays mm -hmm. and my one nephew. Uh, I, it's called Project Sabrina. And when mm -hmm. Little Richard died last year or the year before, I was like, oh, let's, let's put some Little Richard on there. And with people kind of talking about Little Richard in the context uh, of his, his career starting, it's really, that really helps to hear like how wild Tutti Frutti or uh, Long Tall Sally, like how mm. wild those songs are. Uh, you know, just because I've listened to Slayer, you know, it, it's yeah. it's not as wild in that context. But if you go back and think, okay, well, people were listening to like uh, the Andrews Sisters and uh, Dean Martin. Yeah, Bing Crosby. Yeah, and exactly. And then here comes this wild man with makeup on and yeah. <laughs> so that's, Oh, uh, Oh, Bing Crosby. Uh, let's, let's talk Christmas. It's the Christmas episode. It's the ho yeah. holiday episode. But, um, so I want to talk about song, little drummer boy. Yeah. And how the, for, for me, the only acceptable version of little drummer boy is, uh, Bing Crosby and David Bowie peace on earth, little drummer boy. Yeah. And it's because of the peace on earth part. That's and obviously the the charm of having David Bowie and Bing Crosby on the same track. But yeah. Little Drummer Boy, you think that's the fun one because drums are fun. It's got like the parumpa pum pum. It is dour. It is a <laughs> slog. Every version of Little Drummer Boy, you're like, oh, it's the fun Christmas song. It's not the fun Christmas song. No. It may have been at one it's point, funny, but it, it is. Oof. 
I uh, I was with some friends last night and we were listening to to Christmas music, just sort of you know, playing Spotify on uh, pre-made Christmas music playlists uh-huh. and stuff. There are some really miserable, depressing uh, so-called Christmas songs. It's uh, yeah, it's a weird phenomenon. Oh, I actually I think it was last year. Uh, comedian Amy Miller, uh, who is very funny. I really like Amy Miller. She on Twitter was like, Hey, I've got this playlist of depressing Christmas songs. It's, it's collaborative if you want to add to it. So I, I will, <laughs> I will write down to share that. Um, yeah. All right. Depressing Absolutely, Christmas. Yeah. It's I've added a few songs to it. Um, Christmas. Cool. I'm trying to think of the one that kind of got us talking about it yesterday. But I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of bleak. <laughs> yeah. And I think so many of the Christmas songs that have become standards are, you know, like uh, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home uh, are, yeah. or I'll Be Home for Christmas or things like that. It's like, you're not there, but you want to be. So. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just like the kind of 50s and 60s, just pure joy, rocking around the Christmas tree you know, Santa do the mumbo, that kind of silly stuff. That's just, it's just fun and happy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a tougher time with a lot of those. What? Mm. So, um, I've made two, uh, Christmas mixes in my life. It's a uh, songs for December. I hate this weather in like 2008 <laughs> Uh, and I finally made a sequel to it like two, three years ago, uh, volume two. Um, and because it's a very curated, uh, type of, of playlist, a very peripherally Christmassy playlist, honestly. Um, Mm. so you know, the song Christmas baby, please come home. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a U2 version and a Bruce Springsteen version that are both quite popular. Um, mm-hmm. the one that I put on there that I really enjoy is by death cab for cutie, uh, which is a slow sort of somber, uh, it, it matches, I think the tone of the lyric a little better. Um, mm. yeah. And so it's, it's a very sort of, it's, it's basically just a rock and roll playlist where some of the songs are about Christmas or new year's. Um, actually one of the songs isn't really about either of them. New York city by they might be giants. It just has bells in it and sounds Christmassy and mentions snow. Yeah. That, that was another phenomenon that we were discussing is, uh, you know, bands and and groups that that want to cash in on the Christmas number one. It's like, this song has nothing to do with Christmas, but we stick some bells on it. And then, uh, you know, yeah. The Christmas number one, see that that's, British Christmas culture, the Christmas number one. Mm. Uh, I think, I think in America, like we're really only familiar with it through love actually. Okay. Because it's, you know, not something it, it, the country's country's too big for us all to get behind something like that. I think. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, I think it used to be a bigger thing than it is now. Like the, the kind of advent of um, all these like, reality talent contest thing oh, sure, yeah. kind of kind of ruined it a little bit because you just have year after year it was like the winner of britain's got talent or ah i don't know whatever Pop the other Island. ones are um yeah exactly and it was just like ah this is rubbish but it's a kind of shoe in for christmas number one because it's all uh fabricated basically yeah like it, it shines a harsh light on the notion of the charts and at all yeah. yeah, yeah. Um but the the two Christmas album albums, uh Katie has one and I have one. And we we both have them on vinyl now, so we get to really lean into that uh Christmas element. Uh Katie's is um the Charlie Brown Christmas album by Vince Guaraldi Trio. Yeah. And mine is an album that I actually found on Spotify one Christmas morning a few years ago. 
I can't remember if I had started out listening to Flaming Lips and this came up or if I started listening to a weird Christmas playlist and this came up. Um, mm. But it's an album called Atlas Eats Christmas and Eats is spelt E-E-T-S because the Flaming right. Lips. And it's by a fictional artist called Imogene Peace which I read for a long time as a, like a weird spelling of imagine piece. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. It, it's spacious and synthy and super strange, but I love how much the flaming lips love Christmas. Uh, <laughs> the, oh, there's song Christmas at the zoo. That's on, that's on, I hate this weather. That's one of my standards. Um, Nice. And they, they made a whole movie, Christmas on Mars, which is, <clears throat> I'll have to revisit it, but it, it's not the most watchable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That sounds, uh, that sounds like one, one to dig out. Yeah. Uh, you... I, I kind of love that. There's some, some groups are just like, we love Christmas and yeah, we're going to lean into that. And for as know. much as the Flaming Lips are, let's, let's just say it weirdos they're very sincere uh, they like i don't hmm. feel like there's any pretense in like them working with miley cyrus i think they just like miley they yeah. got along well and they've recorded i think a couple of things together so yeah they're just they're, they're friends aren't yeah. they? i think like they have like matching tattoos well, you know, they might stuff. both be from oklahoma i i okay. this is me remembering miley cyrus's part of a uh country dynasty country music dynasty um the flaming yeah. lips are from norman oklahoma i know garth brooks is from oklahoma so they yeah they might have that as a as a by a, a tie a bond that's the word hmm. uh, do you have a like uh an album or, or a specific christmas hmm. music uh that, that you go to or do you just have some playlists that have the vibe you're after yeah, I think it kind of depends depends on the mood, really. I've I've got a, a playlist at the moment that's kind of all the really cheesy things that I like. Um, one that is, uh, I mean, obviously it's very old, but I've only just discovered this year is uh, Gingerbread Man um, hmm. <laughs> by Sammy Davis Jr. Okay. It's so oh, it cheesy. Has to it's be. like the ultimate that's awesome. cheese. Um, but yeah, I just, I just love all that. It's like a, a rocking around the Christmas you know? tree and. Yeah, exactly. You know, a bit of um, oh gosh, come on, brain. What's Carpenters? Brenda, Brenda Lee. Lee. Yeah, yeah, Brenda yeah. Lee is the Christmas classic. Um, yeah, or like you know, Beach Boys, Little Saint Nick, that kind of stuff. Yeah. We'll we'll spin that uh, that Bitch. Carpenters Christmas record every once in a while. Yeah, this this is a good one. Yeah, uh, Christmas movies. Do you have a, a go to? Um, I'm very much a, a product of my, um, my decade, my birth decade. <laughs> so Scrooge oh, with sure. Bill Murray is one of my favorites. Uh, it's just great. It's so 80s. It, it, it is heavily um, 80s. The Buster Poindexter. Yeah. And... yeah. Yeah. You've got, you know. The, the villainous TV. Executive. Another Christmas song that's not really a Christmas song. <laughs> what, what's not, what song is that? But yeah. Put a little love in your heart is the the huh. the big tune. Okay, yeah, it's it's honestly been a long time. I, I it's it's not one that made my uh, my circuit. Um, That's fair. Watched a lot of a Christmas Story. Yeah, um, that's a classic. I and speaking of, speaking of cheese, I do put on Love Actually almost every year. Oh, I do like it, but I, I feel like there's a lot of toxicity oh, going on in that sure. film. Like, charming as, as the Hugh Grant part of the Hugh Grant story is, the oh, who's who who plays the the secretary that becomes the love interest? Uh, come on, uh, it's. I want to say Lily Allen, but that doesn't seem right. At all. No, no, this was before yeah. Lily Allen. I would say like Michelle or something. Come on, brain. I'm going to okay. Google it. I'm going to cheek. It was... 
yeah, I forget how many famous people were in this. Like you, you search the cast. It's like Liam Neeson. And well, and, um, and folks who went on to have to like Chiwetel Ejiofor is in there. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, Martin. Yes. Kutchen. Yeah. And just the, yeah. the fat shaming she gets. For why? Yeah. That's it's, problematic. It's awful. And then the, yeah. And just the heartbreak. There's, uh, uh, Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not great. Brutal. And uh, and and the whole thing of um, Andrew Lincoln's character yeah. standing on the doorstep with the with the, the cards. With yeah, the, like that's so bad. It's your best mate's girlfriend. What are you doing? Not and, okay. Uh, so yeah, I I I'm, I have mixed feelings. Oh, about as that, as you should. Um, it's it's definitely it's a mixed movie. There's so much, but there's enough going on that you're like, okay, well now we're back to Martin Freeman, uh, and yeah, the, the yeah, silly yeah. nudie bit. Bill Nye, oh, so good. That's <laughs> if there's nothing uh, else to that movie, there's the Bill Nye story uh, that that exactly. really. Ca- I mean, that's what starts it off after the the nine eleven monologue is is we go to. Uh, Bill Nighy in the studio trying to remember the the Christmas version of the lyrics to "Love Is All Around." Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, um, and and one more um, National Lampoon's Christmas oh, vacation sure, sure. is is always always one that. And again, watch. that's one that didn't really. St- it wasn't in my house that much. I think it's just one like Scrooge. My mom yeah. didn't like it, so it just wasn't part of the Christmas rotation. And it could be yeah. now, you know, but it just hasn't been. Yeah. I want, <laughs> I want, I love uh, movies that you don't think of as Christmas movies. I like to branch out further than just Die Hard. Um, Batman yeah. Returns is a Christmas movie. You know what? I think Batman Returns is like definitely yeah. a Christmas movie and very underrated as, as a it Christmas is, movie. It, it is the but Tim yeah. Burtonist of Tim Burton's films. Like absolutely. Yeah. Oh, but then you've got Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, how do you choose? I, well, it's, so here's what Batman. Batman has going for it. It has obviously it has Christmas, right? Uh, it has a yeah. circus element, with the Red Triangle Circus Gang, and so you get stripes and concentric yeah. circles, and it's got an ugly baby rejected by his parents and cast into the sewer. Uh, and it, yeah. it's been a while since I've seen it. It's so yeah, Tim Burton. The, the snow and <laughs> and everything. Even like the logo of um, the company that is yeah. it Christopher Walken is yeah. the baddie. And I, it's not it's Drax. Just, That's him yeah. in uh, uh, View to a Kill. But Zorn. No, Zorn is View to a Kill. Drax is not uh, Chris Walken at all. That's. Um, Live not live and let die. Thunderball Drax is no, it's a Roger Moore. It's where the Russian guy says oratory, and, and Desmond <laughs> oh, Llewellyn says know. it looks I'm, like I'm a not great bishop's mitre. Oh, what's it's 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 basically Thunderball. It's on the Disco Volante. Drax wants to poison the surface world and live underwater. It's basically Moonraker. Oh, Chispas. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, Christmas movies. Yeah. One one that I do want to yeah. make a tradition uh, is Eyes Wide Shut. What? Because it's, <laughs> it does uh... take place at Christmas. Uh, there's and and that's uh, Stanley Kubrick making great use of just Christmas lights to light a moody scene. Um. One of the the podcasts I listen to with Gorley and Russ, they're doing a mini Christmas series, uh, just like four movies uh, they've done so far. Yeah. Uh, oh, Jack Frost, the horror movie, not the Michael Keaton movie. Uh, they've done Christmas <laughs> okay. Evil, and oh, wow. what was uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and they've been for one reason or another, very disappointed in all three, but they're finishing the series with uh, Eyes Wide Shut. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to that one. And I was like, yeah, that is a Christmas movie. I used to have kind of a running list in my head of stuff that takes place. In, oh, Iron Man 3, also a Christmas movie. 
Yeah. What? Oh, that absolutely. Is, no. it's, it, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's Shane Black. It's the same uh, writer director. He loves putting stuff at Christmas. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, was it this year or last year? I don't know. Time, time is oh, is yeah. not real anymore. Um, I, I watched all of the Marvel films. Oh yeah, I remember order. that. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah. that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I have no memory of of Iron Man three being. Christmas yeah, Tony soon, buys but... uh, Pepper that giant teddy bear, and there's like the huge tree. Oh, of course. And, yeah. yeah, and then when he lands in what is it, Tennessee after his uh, his blackout, his anxiety blackout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Christmas movies. Iron Man 3, Batman Returns. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Kiss, 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 Bang, Bang. I know a lot of people are on a, a Val Kilmer kick because of the Amazon documentary. And I remember Kiss, mm. Kiss, Bang, Bang being a really surprising movie when I first saw it. I was like, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's Robert Downey Jr. Oh, and it is. Yeah, Val that's Kilmer, right. Isn't it? it's, it's been a while on that one, too. Yeah. Um, mm. Uh, yeah i think that's that's good word about an hour um so yeah. anything you want to uh like that you've been watching you think folks should check out uh listening to anything you discovered in the last i don't know three weeks since we recorded <laughs> uh no not really i mean musically i've just been uh listening to a bunch of christmas rubbish uh TV. I watched the new series of Titans on um, Netflix. That's quite good fun. If if you like cartoony based things, so it's like yeah. a DC. It's live action, but it's it's based on DC yeah. comics. I think, so yeah, that's I think in the US it, that one's on HBO Max. So oh, okay. that's that's the thing. We have too many streaming services over here. I remember because uh, we've got <laughs> yeah. the Paramount Plus, which has uh, the new Star Trek series Discovery, and right before season four yeah. was going to debut where discovery has been on Netflix in most other countries. They pulled it down off of Netflix because they're eventually going to launch uh, paramount plus in those markets. They didn't have it ready, oh, but right. everybody who wanted to watch the, the new season of, and so they've scrambled and put it up on like Pluto or somewhere so you can watch it, but it's a real dick move. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if at some point in the not-too-distant future we're going to see a bit more consolidation with all these uh, streaming services because it yeah. is getting ridiculous. And, and yeah, I don't know how people yeah. do it without sharing. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they're kind of comfortable with that model is like, you know, if each member of a family or friendship group pays for three services, then between them they've got 12. Yeah, yeah. You know? so I, I've got Hulu and like we're paying for Netflix and HBO and then I got a cousin who's got cable so you can watch the the, the different channels streaming stuff and then you got someone with yeah. a Hulu and a Disney Plus and somebody had like a free trial of Discovery Plus. So <laughs> uh, what, what I've been watching that I, I want to recommend is a show called The Other Two which is about a, oh. uh, so there's a, a kid who becomes a Justin Bieber style internet singing sensation. And the show is right. about his older siblings and how they, they okay. one's an actor one. I forget what she does. She ends up being his manager. Um, it's, it's very funny. Uh, and it's got Molly Shannon as, as the mom. It's always nice to see Molly Shannon. Nice. And then musically, what I want to recommend is an album I, I got from the Orem Public Library. Uh, it's Prince's One Night Alone Live. And it, it is on, okay. on Spotify. Uh, the, the, the box set, actually, that I checked out from the library, it's got the One Night Alone piano and voice, which I haven't actually listened to yet. And then a two-disc concert with the new power generation and then an after show uh, concert, which is again, not as, not as good as, as this one night alone live. And you just get to experience Prince controlling a, a band and an audience as extensions mm. of himself. So he's able to do as much as he can at once. I know it's, it's, it's really, cool. really amazing. And it's 
mostly songs from so the it was recorded in i think 2002 so it's songs from um one night alone and rainbow children and there might be something from like rave unto the joy fantastic and and there's some hits in there in like a medley little piano medley which is amazing but Mm. yeah just a great jam album it was really fun nice uh all right so um i guess at this point, at least, we've ended every show uh, with another podcast sign-off. And uh, I just want to give mm-hmm. a shout-out to the podcast uh, Book and a Pint. Uh, James Jenkins, one of the hosts there, is a, a friend of mine. He had been on uh, the Spit Valve podcast a number of times. And uh, he gave us a, a, a mention in, I think, episode 10 of Book and a Pint. So I wanted to and we haven't recorded since then. So I want to go ahead and, and take their sign off, which is go read a book. <laughs>